so good to be here with you again. Thanks for coming out on this nice, sunny July day. So we're going to be continuing in our summer series today, The Never-Ending Story. So we're going to be journeying through the entire Bible and looking at a lot of the main themes, a lot of the main characters. And so today, we are going from the patriarchs all the way up to Moses and the Exodus. So buckle in because we're going to be covering a large part of biblical history today. Now, the patriarchs are the line of men that God decided to use to establish the nation of Israel. This would include Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, it would establish the nation of Israel. So now last week we touched on Abraham. So I won't go too in-depth with him. But if you need a refresher on that, you can always check out our YouTube channel uh, for Pastor Aaron's message on uh, Abraham. So, but Abraham was the one that God made uh, what we know as the Abrahamic covenant with. This is where God enters into a redemptive partnership with Abraham. He promises a few things, those being that he'll be the father of many nations, aka he will have many descendants. Number two, that he will give them land. And three, that the earth will be blessed through him. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 to 3 says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This covenant that he makes is incredibly important, and we see God hold fast to this promise as the covenant is passed down through the patriarchs and reiterated to each one of them. To Isaac, God remembers it, as we see in Genesis chapter 26, verse 1 to 5, where it says, Now there was a famine in the land, besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him keeping my commandments, my decrees, and my instructions. Then once again, God reiterates that promise to Jacob in Genesis chapter 35, verse 9 to 13, where it says, After Jacob returned from Padan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will also give to you, and I will give your land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked to him. And finally, to the rest of Israel, in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 to 8, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Now, before we head into this historical account of the Exodus, let me just give you a brief overview of each of the patriarchs. It is by no means exhaustive, but rather to give you an idea of who they are and what role that they played. I would encourage you to actually dive deeper into them this week in your own personal study time. Now, 
Abraham we touched on last week, so again, if you want to review that uh, fully, you can go back to uh, last week's message as well. Uh, But Isaac, Abraham's son, was a miracle himself, being born to his parents when his mother was 90 and his father 100. He also bore an up-close look to his father's obedience to God, asking him to sacrifice him. Talk about an awkward trip home. Isaac trusts the servant that God led to find his wife, Rebekah, and eventually she bore twins, the eldest Esau and the youngest Jacob. Now this is the story where those two sons come up. The eldest Esau, who was a hunter and was out all day and returning, famished, begs for food from Jacob, who does so only in return for the birthright from Esau, to which Esau agrees. This being an incredibly huge deal, as Jacob now has the birthright that the eldest son would have and the large inheritance that comes with it. Then as time drew near for Isaac to pass on, he is tricked by his own wife, Rebekah, who favored the younger son, Jacob, giving him the blessing. This fulfilled what God had told them at their birth in Genesis chapter 25, verse 23, where it says, The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And so Jacob uh, becomes the one who God's covenant is passed down to, to be carried on. Now Isaac and Esau quickly discover what had happened, and in Esau's anger, he seeks to avenge himself by killing Jacob. So their mother tells Jacob to flee. In his escape, he stops to sleep one night and he has this encounter with God that we see here in Genesis chapter 28, verse 10 to 15. So you can take a second and flip there if you have your Bible. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and laid down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Once again, God reaffirms his promise to uphold the covenant made with Jacob's grandfather, Abraham. And Jacob goes on to have this incredible story of how one night he actually wrestles with God that we pick up in Genesis 32, 24 to 28. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that the hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob but Israel because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. At that point we see the story, Jacob is about to come face to face with his brother Esau. And he is scared for his life, quite literally believing that this may be the end for him. But in this moment, he comes face to face with God. And he not only spares his life, but also gives him a new name, Israel, and blesses him. The name Jacob quite literally means heel grabber. Not exactly the most flattering name and calling to live up to. But the name Israel given to him means God contends or one who struggles with God an apt name for one who had lived a contentious life up to that point. 
Not only that, but the nation of Israel was born out of Jacob. Jacob went on to father 12 sons that became the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then finally, we have Joseph. Joseph was Jacob's favorite son out of the 12 that Jacob had, and his brothers despised him for it. So much so that after Joseph shared dreams with them that essentially looked as though they were bowing down to him, they left him for dead, but then decided to sell him into slavery. Now Joseph ends up being sold to Potiphar, who is a high-ranking official in Egypt. Joseph, however, ascends up the ranks, getting favor and becoming the overseer of the land and continues to be faithful to God. He gained the complete trust of Potiphar until his wife, who Joseph had rejected advances from, accused him of attempting to lay with her, and he is then thrown in jail. Long story short, after being the only one who could interpret Pharaoh's dreams of a soon-coming famine, he is restored and giving a high-ranking uh, status once again. And eventually, during the famine, his brothers traveled to seek food. And after appearing to treat him harshly at first, treat them harshly at first, even imprisoning them for three days and sending them to bring their youngest brother back as well, when they return, he reveals himself to be their brother and reconciliation begins. And now, this brings us to Moses and the Exodus, where we pick it up in Exodus chapter 1, verse 6 to 14. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, and they will become even, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Python and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed and the more they multiplied and spread, so the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They, became, they made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Now, if you notice that in this passage, the covenant that God made with Abraham and upheld through the patriarchs is actually being upheld here. The nation of Israel is becoming incredibly numerous, so much so that even the Egyptians who were oppressing them came to dread and fear them. And then it says in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 to 24, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And so you see here that in the midst of this struggle, this 400-year struggle, they cry out. In the midst of their suffering, they cry out to God. And it says that he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. He holds his promises. It is still there. And in the midst of this time, when they feel so far from him, he is there in the midst of it. And he remembers that covenant. And so in the midst of this suffering, he raises up a man named Moses. And so at the time, the Pharaoh, he actually ordered all of the Hebrew sons to be killed. And so 
of course, the midwives, the Hebrew midwives, they refused to do this, and so they actually found ways of avoiding that so they didn't have to. And Moses' mother, when he was born, she put him in a basket in the Nile River so that he could survive. And by chance, or, well, probably not so much by chance, probably more so by God ordaining it, he ends up being found by the daughter of the Pharaoh. And so while at first glance you might read that and think, that's not good, because the Pharaoh is the one who just ordered the death of all of these children. Well, the Pharaoh's daughter actually took pity on that baby boy and raised him. And in the midst of this time where the impossible was happening here, he is raised up. And uh, it comes to this one point where you might have heard of it, the burning bush, where Moses is a bit older and God appears to him in the bush and he is calling to him and he basically tells him, hey, I'm going to use you. And Moses in the middle of that is saying, no, I'm the worst. I can't even talk. And you're telling me to go and talk to Pharaoh. But he's like, no, I'm going to use you. I don't care how unqualified you feel that you are. I'm going to use you because my people are suffering and my people have cried out and I'm going to use you as a tool to free my people. And so how many of us have been in a situation like that, not necessarily freeing an entire nation, probably haven't been there, but how many of you have been in a situation where God is calling on you to go and do something, calling on you to go and talk to that person, share your faith, calling on you to go and provide support to a person who is hurting and burdened and to shoulder that load with them? How many times has God called on you to do the unthinkable? to get you to step out of your comfort zone where you think that you are not qualified. How many times has he done that? And how many times have you responded, not yet. I'm not ready. And yet what happens is God uses Moses. And he also raises up Aaron, his brother. Because he's like, yeah, okay, you know what? You're not willing to do that. You're not willing to fully trust me quite. Yeah, I'm going to raise up someone else as well to help you because you're not going to do this on your own. There's going to be someone with you. And so he uses them, and they go to Pharaoh. And what happens, as you might have heard, is plagues start to descend on Egypt as they go to Pharaoh and tell him to free their people. And so over and over and over again, ten times there are these plagues that come and inflict the nation of Egypt. And so it was interesting, Pastor Trace and I were talking about this this past week over lunch, um, and then I heard it again in a lecture that I was listening to, was that each plague actually correlates to one of the Egyptian gods. And so what happens is, or actually the name of the Pharaoh is connected to the sun god Ra. The idea that the sun god, one of the supreme gods in the Egyptian religion, gave birth to the Pharaoh, and the Pharaohs were direct divine descendants of the sun. And what happens in one of those plagues? Well, God blocks out the sun, shows himself supreme over the sun god, and so forth. And that is one of the themes of Exodus and the themes of this story is that God is supreme over any other God or idol or anything else that these people have. It doesn't matter what they come up with. It doesn't matter what they come back with with their magicians or anything else in the story here. As you'll see if you read a little further into it. God is supreme. 
and he shows it. He puts it on blatant display. There's no ignoring that. And I found this one part funny. In Exodus chapter 8, verse 8 to 10, it says this, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs, except for those that remain in the Nile. And how does Pharaoh respond? Tomorrow. <laughs> Sorry, what? In the middle of a plague of frogs, like I'm sure everyone is sitting there like, what? Like his advisors are probably like, dude, we're sick of this. They're in our homes, they're in our beds, like, this is disgusting. Like, come on, why would you not just say right now in this moment? Like, God is literally speaking to him through Moses and Aaron here. And he's like, tomorrow. And it begs the question of each of us, because Pharaoh continually hardens his heart, right? How many times has God called on us for something that we shouldn't be doing? And we're like, we'll deal with that tomorrow. What about that one sin in your life that you don't really tell your small group? You don't even really tell your friends at times. You're like, you know what? I'm a little comfortable here. I'll deal with that tomorrow. That's a little scary. That's a little uncomfortable. If someone finds out, if I tell someone else, that might be a little embarrassing. I'll deal with that tomorrow. What are we holding on to today that we're pushing off until tomorrow but need to be obedient in right now? And that's a question that I need to ask myself. That's a question that we need to continually ask ourselves because that's not a one-time thing. That's not something where it's like, okay, you know what? Once I've dealt with it, I'm done, that's it. Rest of my life is smooth sailing. No, there's going to be new things, new temptations, new ways that the enemy is going to try and attack you. And you have to deal with that now. You have to cut it off. So don't respond tomorrow. When God calls on you and he is clearly speaking to you, say, yes, here I am. Let's do this. And then we move forward after these ten plagues have gone through. And finally, Pharaoh, after the final plague of the firstborn sons of Egypt, being killed, he lets them go. And so the Israelites, they are leaving now, and this happens in Exodus chapter 14, verse 10 to 12, so you can flip there. But it says, as Pharaoh approached, so the Israelites, they're towards the Red Sea now, and the Egyptians are in pursuit. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified. And cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So they're at this crossroads here. They're not sure where to go forward. They've got the enemy pursuing from the back, and they're scared. And they don't know what to do. And their response and fear is to be like, why don't we just go back to that? 
Why don't we go back to the thing that we were just freed from? Because in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of the fear, we forgot that God brought us out of that and brought us towards freedom. And how many times in my life have I been looking back over my shoulder? Way too many to count. There's been so many times where I'm going forward and I'm looking back and I'm like, okay, you know what, God, you see him? Like he's there. He's right there. What's going on here? Like he's literally right there. Do you not see that right now? Like I just give up. I'm done. Why don't we just go back? Because he's right there. But we forget that the enemy is in pursuit. He's behind. He's catching up. And God is going ahead of us. And he's preparing the way. And he's there for us. No matter what it is that we are going through, he is there. And he's bigger than the enemy. And no matter what is in pursuit, he has power over that. And we need to remember that. And when we respond in those moments where we are so afraid and the enemy is right there and we are looking over our shoulder, we need to turn to God and say, okay, what's next? What do I do now? Where is it that you're leading me to? What people do I need to talk to? Do I need to pray right now? Do I, of course you need to pray. Do I need to fast right now? Do I need to turn into your word? Of course. Speak to me, God. Help me. Give me the strength that I need to keep pushing forward and they come up to the Red Sea. And obviously this looks impossible and impassable. And what happens? Well, of course, God through Moses gives him the ability to split the Red Sea. And they start running through and the Egyptians on their chariots are chasing after them and they're running to the other side. And they're terrified. And yet, eventually they make it to the other side. And the waters close up over the Egyptians that are in pursuit, the enemy that is behind them. And they're free. And there's no more looking back over their shoulder. Because God was the one that prepared the way ahead of them and he knew what was going to happen. He knew how to make a way. It wasn't too hard for him. He wasn't scared by that. He wasn't thrown off by that. He went ahead. And what we need to do is we need to follow him. When he says go, we need to go. When he says stop, we need to stop. When he says back up, we need to start backing up. You know, one thing that I love about the patriarchs is a lot of the obedience that happens there. There's a lot of very human things and a lot of failures in there, but you know, there's a lot of obedience throughout you know, each of the patriarchs as well. You know, one that always sticks out to me and I always love you know, is when God tells him to sacrifice his son, which is really weird like at first glance, and you're like, what? But that was the one thing that he was waiting for his entire life. The one thing that he thought was impossible, and he was an old man, his wife was old, they're like, they've given up at this point. And then he creates this miracle where now they have a son, and it's everything they've ever wanted. And he says, Abraham, 
I want you to sacrifice your son. I want you to sacrifice the one thing that you've always wanted more than anything else. I want you to sacrifice him. And how does he respond? Here I am. I'll do it. That's obedience. See, the story of the patriarchs and the story of Moses comes down to obedience. If each of the patriarchs, if they weren't obedient in following after what God had called them to and where he was showing them to go, none of this would have happened. The incredible miracles that took place, none of them would have happened if they didn't say, yes, God, I'm here, I trust you, send me. And yeah, there were times where they messed up. Yeah, there were times where they failed big time. But the good news is that God has grace. God has mercy on us. Thank God. (laughs) And then a long time later, well, Jesus comes along. And that same grace and that mercy is shown in an incredible way through his son on the cross, his one and only son that he sent to die for us because he loved us so much. And we weren't only running from the enemy that was behind us, but he actually set us free because we're not meant to just run and run and run and wear ourselves out, but we are meant to be set free. We are meant to make it to the promised land. We are meant to keep going after what God has for us. And when God sent his son Jesus to die on that cross as the perfect sacrifice and then rose again three days later, we were free. And that's something that we need to recognize and hold on to because we cannot hold on to the shame and the guilt or any sin that we're just comfortable with now. We need to recognize the freedom that is in Jesus. The freedom that he displays from the Old Testament to the New Testament to the end of Revelation. There is freedom. No matter what it is, he's made a way and he is going ahead of you and he is there. And his presence is in this place. His presence is in each of your lives. He is with you. Take a hold of that freedom today. So I'd encourage everyone today to reflect on that. Reflect on how you're able to be set free from whatever it is in your life, whatever those things are that you're holding on to. And you're looking over your shoulder continually. What is it? What are you looking over your shoulder at? And what do you need to start looking ahead towards what God has for you? So let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you've shown yourself through the patriarchs, how you've shown yourself through Moses and the Israelites. And I pray that we continue to learn from your word. I pray that we would never stop learning from your word. I pray that we would just have an incredible curiosity for you and your word. And Father, may we just have a devotion to you. Father, may we not become comfortable with where we are. May we not become apathetic to our situation, but may we walk forward in the freedom that you have provided for us. God, go ahead of us. Call us. Give us the boldness to follow after you without hesitation. So Father, may your presence 
be with each of us today, throughout this next week, throughout the summer, and going forward. And may we boldly follow after you. Take hold of that freedom and share that with others. Father, we thank you so much for who you are, for how you're continually faithful, for how your promises remain true and how you always hold them, how you always remember them. We thank you so much, God. We give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. Amen.